This week we conclude reading the book of Leviticus. It's actually a double portion, Behar Bechukotai. And uh, it concludes all of the readings for uh, several weeks now in the book of Leviticus. Next week we'll begin reading the book of Numbers, Bamidbar, the fourth of the five books of uh, the Torah. What I'd like to focus on uh, for this Shabbat is the beginning of the last Torah portion in the book of Leviticus called Bechukotai. You may know that the names of the Torah portions are determined by the first consequential, the first significant word uh, in that Torah portion. And so Bechukotai begins in the following way. Im Bechukotai telechu ve'et mitzvotai tishmoru. If you shall follow my laws and observe my commandments. And thus the name of the Parsha is Bechukotai. Im Bechukotai which is the second word of the beginning of the Parsha, but determined by the rabbis to be the most consequential word, that the name of the Torah portion is not im, if, uh, but bechukotai, laws. So the Parsha reads, if you shall follow my laws and observe my commandments, and then it delineates all kinds of really beautiful blessings that will descend on you if you observe God's laws faithfully, and a much more impressive list of curses, terrifying, really, uh, which caution what will happen to you uh, if you do not observe God's commandments. I think that, by the way, uh, follows the psychology, human psychology, uh, I think as as promising a motivating force uh, of blessings is to us. I think people are much more motivated by the fear of bad things happening to them. And uh, that really terrifying list of curses that's delineated in this Parsha conforms, I think, with the idea that people are motivated much more by fear of bad things happening to them than by the promise of good things happening to them. Now, when pondering the name of this Parsha, I've come to the conclusion that actually the first significant word in the Torah portion is not actually bechukotai, laws. Uh, The first significant word in my view is im, the first word, the actual first word of the Torah portion, which means if. That word if, two letters, both in English and in Hebrew, is one of the most consequential words in the entire human vocabulary and certainly in the Jewish vocabulary. The Bible could have said, follow my laws, and these are all the good things that will happen to you, and uh, don't follow my laws, and these are all the bad things that will happen to you. But if, to begin the uh, Parsha with the word im, if, that connotes all of the uncertainties of life, the frailties of life, the, the weaknesses of life, the uh, the lack of uh, ability to determine our futures as we would like uh, to, it, it, that word, that small little word, if, is so central to the human condition. Those of us who are blessed to live in advanced, technological, affluent 21st century societies assume that everything is predictable, everything is stable, everything is reliable, 
Tomorrow will look exactly like today if we will it. And if we will it, we'll change something for tomorrow, but we'll maintain our reliability and uh, stability. Uh, we finally conquered the scourge of diseases that so plagued our ancestors. We finally uh, conquered war and poverty. That's how most of us uh, live our lives. Uh, we haven't, of course, but those of us who live in more privileged uh, countries and in more privileged societies, that's how we kind of feel. We no longer suffer from those dreaded illnesses that killed uh, prematurely so many of our ancestors. Look at the life expectancy now and compare that even to a century ago. Uh, the life expectancy has increased by decades. Uh, we ourselves, there are of course wars that still rage around the world, but we ourselves don't expect to fight them. Uh, we uh, rely on other people to fight our wars. And so most of us live most of our lives free of the unique anxiety that so many other people feel around the world. Uh, and so many human beings experience throughout human history. We no longer fear the pangs and the curses and the fear of hunger. Most of us have never experienced in our lives even a moment of food insecurity. And we don't even draw a connection between the way food arrives in our home and the process of allowing that food to get to our homes. We don't really uh, put a passing thought, we don't pay a passing thought into how this food needs to be grown, how it needs to be cultivated, uh, how it gets from the farm to the processing plants and uh, then to the stores and then to our home. We, we don't think of that. We've never experienced any kind of food insecurity before. In fact, I like to ask young people, where do avocados come from? Uh, and inevitably, one would think that they might say Mexico or California. Inevitably, they say, where do avocados come from? They come from Fairway. Uh, and the youngsters really, uh, their answer contains a fundamental truth about how most of us live our lives. It's, that is, we don't, we don't think that uh, avocados need to be grown in a farm and picked by farm workers. Uh, it just appears. This mountain of avocados just appears in the store. Maybe they even think that if they find a, a bag of avocados, that it's grown with the bag. Uh, one of the shop shocking things about this pandemic is how humbling it really is. In a matter of weeks, our orderly, stable, predictable, and certain lives have been upended. It turns out that we do not actually have the kind of control over the next day, over our future, as we thought we did. None of us can get out of the way of the coronavirus. It is true that those who have more means are better able to get out of the way, and we see the disproportionate effect on 
those elements uh, of society that are weaker. But still, coronavirus can strike anyone of us down, and it has. And we have not actually conquered hunger. It's truly shocking for some of us to see empty shelves in the stores. In America, for those of us old enough, uh, we saw the uh, pictures of empty store shelves in the Soviet Union, in third world countries, but in the United States of America in the 21st century to see empty shelves, it's shocking to us. And this pandemic has reminded us that the most important, among the most important words in the Torah is the word im, two letters, if. It's one of the most important words in, 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 in all of human vocabulary because it connotes this uncertain nature of our lives. One of the passages in the double portion of the week describes the sabbatical year. And you might recall the sabbatical year is the year every seventh year the land needs to lay fallow and, and uh, the ancient Israelites were not allowed to work that land. And we read this following fascinating passage. V'chi tomru, v'chi, another Hebrew word for if, by the way. V'chi tomru, and if you shall ask, what will we eat in the seventh year? Because the land was commanded to lay fallow. You couldn't work the uh, land in the seventh year. And so the Bible says, and if you shall ask, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we're not able to sow or reap the crops? I, God, will bless you with a harvest in the sixth year that will last through the seventh and even the eighth year. In other words, uh, the Bible is commanding the ancient Israelites, don't reap, don't sow on the seventh year, and God will bless your harvest in the sixth year for a double portion. Uh, and uh, of course, the sages understood that there would not be a direct correlation. There's a passage in the Talmud that allows for working the land on the seventh year in cases of urgency or emergency, but that's not what I want to focus on. There's a much more interesting question that the commentators raised, and that is, why does the Torah present this material in the manner of a question and answer? And if you shall ask, since when does the Torah present material in that way? And if you shall ask something, God could have said, don't harvest the land on the seventh year. Know that on the sixth year, you'll have a double harvest, and that will carry you through. Why this pop quiz by uh, the Torah? Why, 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 and if you shall ask, then I'll tell you the answer. One 18th century commentator, Meam Loez, states the following. The question, what will we eat? And if you shall ask, what shall we eat? That question, what shall we eat, goes to the heart of our anxieties. We don't really feel that today, but most of most human beings in almost all of human history felt that burning anxiety. What shall we eat? 
The sage writes that this Torah verse is presented in the form of question and answer because he suggests that even if the harvest is good, even if we have a huge farm and we don't really worry about what we will eat, we don't have food insecurity, still, he says, everyone should ask from time to time, what will we eat? Will we have enough food? Will we be able to feed our families? Will we be able to put food on the table? The fact that none of us who are blessed with food security ever dream of asking ourselves, what shall we eat, demonstrates how far removed we are from almost all of the human experience that preceded us and to this day exists in so many parts of the world, including in our country. How many millions of Americans are food insecure? And the fact that the Torah then presents to us this form of question and answer, it forces us, ourselves, to ask the question from time to time, what shall we eat, to feel that anxiety. And if we are compelled to ask that question, then we are forced to contemplate the answer. We are fragile. Our future is not certain. It all depends on if, it's the key phrase. If we shall be blessed, if we shall have good health tomorrow. But we should all be forced to ask, what shall we eat? Because uh, it, 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 be, it, it forces us to acquire a certain humility about life, that nothing is certain. And that if we have something today, we should feel blessed and never take it for granted. It's not a given that we will have fully stocked shelves in the supermarkets. It forces us to uh, consider the conditionality of life. And it forces us to consider how reliant we are on other people to produce the medicines, to grow the food, to bring the food to our shelves. And with this increased sensitivity, hopefully we will feel more strongly about the moral urgency of bringing food to everybody's table and to resolve this issue of food insecurity and hunger once and for all. Shabbat shalom.